Life and Relationships, and it's been a good series. We've talked about lots of different things. We've talked about marriage, we've talked about parenting, we've talked about broken hearts, and we've talked about dating, and I thought Nate did a great job last week on that. Really good counsel and wisdom on finding the love of your life. Today's message uh, is, is a little heavier. I'm calling it Christ, manage, Christ, Christ Management would be good, I guess. Crisis Management, spit it out. Crisis Management, how to handle life's hurts. How to handle life's hurts. So we've got a nice light message for this morning. Welcome to East Point. A few years ago I was on sabbatical, and as part of that sabbatical I flew down to Virginia to take a couple classes. I was down there for a couple of weeks um, at Liberty University, and it was, it was a good experience. And as part of that time I prayed a lot, I studied a lot, and I did a lot of journaling. And I remember one uh, evening I was sitting watching the sunset uh, in the Virginia sky. It was just beautiful. And um, the, all the fireflies that are out. We don't, we don't have those in Spokane. Uh, we're too dry here or something. I don't know. But they were all flying around. It was just beautiful, beautiful setting. I had my journal with me, and I'm journaling on some things. And, and I, I don't journal like write stories. I journal in bullet points because I'm a get-it-done kind of guy. I don't know if it, you know, you know what I mean? I'm like, it's the to-do list. You know, love my wife, love God, love, love kids, love, you know, you know that kind of thing. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and I thought, you know, I'm going to just write down some things I, I feel confident about that I feel secure about, some things that, that maybe I, I don't wrestle with as much as I used to. And I started making this list. And no lie, one of the things I actually wrote on there is I felt very confident about my theology of suffering. And I wrote that down. And what I learned from that is if you are in a time of meditation and prayer and you tell God that you have a really sound theology of suffering, he is going to reel you in. <laughs> And to be honest, I, I, I have been through a lot of things in my life, and I have asked a lot of hard questions. Uh, at the age of five, my mother was diagnosed with myelogenous leukemia. She went through three brutal remissions and then finally died when I was 15. My, uh, one of my older brothers, who was a hero to me, just this, this just gifted musician, super intelligent guy, uh, free ride, paid for scholarship to the University of Minnesota, hoped to go to law school, that was the plan, at the age of 19 gets schizophrenia, and just bang, he's gone, it was like another death. And then my dad, in the midst of this, is uh, really depressed and suicidal. So my home life growing up struggled with that stuff, Came, I, I had a lot of questions I was like, really, is this life? Is this really life? These kind of hardships, these kind of trials? Do you know my dad worked for a church and I snuck in during a, a meeting, okay? And uh, he worked for this church for a number of years and they had my dad up on the stage and my parents said, don't come in for this meeting, it's not that big of a deal. And uh, I came in and there were 200 people sitting in the congregation, these members, and for one hour they debated on whether or not to fire my dad who was working for the church and at the end of that they fired him. And I witnessed that. I watched that. So I started asking, Lord, really? Really? Is this the best you got? And through my years, I began to realize, you know, God, I need some of these things answered. And to be honest, I feel like I do have a pretty concise theology of suffering. I do. In fact, if you ever want to just sit down with me and honestly, seriously talk about that, you can give me a call or email me here at the church. In fact, Kurt... The guy is always saying, email Pastor Brian. <laughs> you know, Kurt's always doing that. So I thought, just get it over with. I'm going to put my email up on the screen. Take a look. Here we go. Okay, so if you need me, <laughs> just uh, go Brian is at eastpointchurch.org and uh, 
I'll give you a call. No, I'm just kidding. If you honestly need to contact me, it's jeff at eastpointchurch.org. So just go ahead and do that. But I would, I would love, I'm happy to always talk with you about that stuff. It's good. I've wrestled with these hard questions. And, and I, in that time of prayer, in that time of going through my journaling and meditating on that stuff, I, I, I really kind of heard from the Lord. I, I felt like I was just sitting there and, and God said, it, Brian, in case you're wondering, that's what God sounds like. Sounds like me, just deep, deeper voice. And um, he said, Brian, so you think you've got a good theology of suffering, huh? Like, yeah, I don't think it's bad, Lord, and uh, do you want to hear it? What, you know, that kind of thing. And Brian, yeah, your theology of hope stinks. <laughs> okay. That was God's way of trying to get my attention. You see, I, I remember writing down this question. I wrote, when a crisis occurs, what are, what are my most basic options? And I could not answer that. I can, because of other things I've been through in my life, tell you theologically why I think bad things happen to good people, and I feel pretty good about that. In fact, I think that's pretty concise. But over here, when it comes to hope, what to do when I'm facing a crisis, at the core, what to do at the core, I couldn't answer that question at that time. I went blank. And so what I want to do uh, this morning is address that. And it's, it, again, it's kind of funny, you know, when you start to struggle with these things with the Lord. When, when, uh, when I was in Virginia on this sabbatical, kind of wrestling with this stuff, my first day of class, my phone rings, and I'm in class, and I look down, and it's my wife, and, and I, I was in class, and we kind of have this rule where if something's going on, you know, you can send the other person to voicemail. So I wasn't trying to be mean to, to Heather, but I, I sent her to voicemail. But we also have another rule that if something really serious is happening, we're going to call back right away. And so I send her to voicemail, and after about 45 seconds, the phone rings again. So I answer this phone, and I'm kind of standing in the back of this class of 200 people, 200 people and the profs up there talking. And, and Heather, my wife is a strong person. And as soon as I say hello, I, I hear her going, honey, honey, I, I just want to let you know everyone's okay. The kids are okay. I'm okay. And I'm like, what? Should I be watching CNN? Was there an earthquake in you know, Spokane, 2,500 miles from here, that kind of thing? And, and she goes to tell me, she goes, honey, we got in an accident. Everybody's okay. The other people are okay, but the van is totaled. And I began to realize at that minute that the Lord is going to teach me how I handle crisis. Because I jumped right onto the fear bandwagon. I wanted to fly back to Spokane and find out what happened. Right? And so I'm, I'm like, honey, should I fly home? Should I do all this kind of stuff? Should I do, you know, I'm literally having this conversation in the back of the room, and the prof says, oh, Mr. Alquist, could you maybe step out? And I'm like, hey, dude, put a sock in it. My wife just totaled her, her, her van. I, I really did say that. <laughs> Which, <laughs> let me tell you, if you're in graduate school, don't say that to your prof, okay? Uh, we had a little chat after that. And, um, yeah, I... Uh, Repented and apologized and all that good stuff. But I was struggling. That was a tough situation. That was a hard situation. And even though I have a lot of peace over why bad things happen, I mean, just being honest with you, I have some peace with that. My, my most basic core reaction in that moment was fear. It was fear. And when I finally calmed down, I realized, hey, the minivan's totaled. Maybe we can get an SUV. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I test drive minivans, I feel like I'm trying on dresses. Right? 
we'll keep the van, honey, I'm sorry. At least I drive that sexy uh, Cavalier, you know, that's, uh, sorry, anyways. So that was my reaction, I wanted to fix it, and I'm wondering, can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? You go through a crisis and you want it fixed. You want to stop what you're doing and fix it. Hit the brakes, we're going to fix this problem. And so you find yourself fighting to fix it or maybe even running from it. In psychology, when there's fear or angst, we typically, the the theory is, we typically react in fight or flight. That's what we do. We have this urgency to solve this problem. And with it comes these feelings, these intense feelings of frustration and anger, confusion or some other kind of emotion. And typically, there's this total loss of joy and peace. When I got that phone call, at least in that situation, I wasn't going, oh, honey, you know, let's be joyful. We can get a new van. I feel the peace of the Lord washing over me right now. Let's pray. <laughs> I, I wanted that. I did. I, I wanted to have that. I did. I, 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 I do. I want that when I go through crisis. In John 16, Jesus is uh, giving his disciples a heads up. He's letting them know that there is an up-and-coming crisis. And he warns them about a few things. And then he says this to them. He says, you guys, I've told you these things. This is in John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I I love that verse. I love that Jesus told them that. And I'll tell you, I want some of that peace. I want some of that confidence when trouble and crisis kicks in because I'm not that great at it. I don't go there all the time. I want it to be mine. Can you relate to that? When trouble hits, I want that peace to be mine. I want that rest to be mine. I want God's presence washing over me. I want that to be mine. And I don't believe I'm alone. Am I? Am I alone? We write songs about this stuff, don't we? We write songs about this stuff. In fact, uh, in 1979, a group called Super Tramp, those are probably two words you didn't think you'd hear in church this morning. <laughs> but what the heck, you're at East Point. Um, this, this band, they wrote a song called Lord Is It Mine. Lord Is It Mine. And I love the lyrics. I can't, I'm not going to read them all to you, but I'm going to read some of them. Uh, they wrote this. They said, I never cease to wonder at the cruelty of this land, but it seems a time of sadness is a time to understand. Is it mine? Lord, is it mine? In other words, can I have some peace in the, in the midst of cruelty? Can I have that? And then I love this last part. He wrote this. He said, if only I could find a way to feel your sweetness through the day, the love that shines around me could be mine. We, so give us an answer, won't you? I love that plea. Give us an answer, won't you? We know what we have to do. There must be a thousand voices trying to get through. And when I listen to that song and I read those lyrics, I, I just feel that. I just feel it. It just captures the struggle of this artist, the hurt this guy feels, and his quest to find some rest and some peace in the midst of whatever crisis he's facing. Is it mine? Oh, Lord, is it mine? Can I just have that? 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're wrestling with that. Maybe you are. So what I want to share with you this morning is a very basic picture of how to handle hurt. Something I think the Lord gave me, to be honest. And it's, it's really simple. If you know me, you know that I'm fascinated by small, shiny objects. So it has to be simple. Got to be able to apply it in the here and now, in the moment. So this is a starting point. Just a starting point for you to face a crisis with. And just, to, just something to consider, just something to think about is, uh, you know, this is just a tool. It's an idea. I want you to weigh it against Scripture. I want you to chew the meat and spit out the bones, okay? And um, just know that, that this tool, maybe any other ones that we talk about from time to time, this isn't going to erase sin or the hurt that that causes. This isn't going to erase consequences. It's not going to provide some kind of magical answer. But what I hope it does, I hope it provides a basic option that you are clear about the next time crisis hits you, the next time your phone rings and you get some hard news. So let's jump in. I want to show you the picture. Here's the picture. Here it is. See, a circle. Ooh, simple. You know, that's what I like. That's what I like. I want to cover a few things on this. If you look at the top crisis, a thing happened, a crisis occurs, it creates hurt in our life. We're going to funnel that hurt through either fear or faith, and that's going to produce a reaction that's going to funnel right back into our hurt. Now, I want to spend just a little bit of time on, on this. What is a crisis? You know, in psychology, we, it's considered to be a turning point. A lot of developmental theories center on the crisis. If a crisis occurs, it motivates you in a direction to make change. Okay, so uh, by definition, it's a turning point in our lives that brings instability or danger into our circumstances and emotions. That's what a crisis is. We've all been through crisis. Now, a crisis can be very mild and it can be very severe. Now, I know that for some of you, when you get, well, I'm this way. If I get up in the morning and I walk upstairs and I realize we are out of coffee, it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. Honey, you're going to be late for work. I'm going to be late for work because I'm driving to Starbucks. You know, I've got to get that caffeine in me. And it, 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 you know what I'm talking about? It really, it's a crisis. And sometimes we panic over that. Uh, things break, cars, computers. Um, our homes have problems. When that happens and it's unexpected, uh, it, it's a crisis. Sometimes we have a crisis of connection. We lock horns with a good friend and we're not resolving it. That's a crisis. We have family issues. We're not communicating to our kids the way we used to. Or uh, we don't get along with our mom and dad the way we used to. That's a crisis. If you're in a marriage that's failing right now, that's a crisis and it's a painful one. If your health is threatened, maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer, heart disease, I don't know, some kind of tumor. That's a crisis. If you've lost a job or had to take a pay cut or hour cut or whatever, that's a crisis. And sometimes a crisis is just trauma. I talked to someone the other day that witnessed that accident on the freeway where someone died, and that's trauma. That's a hard thing to get out of your head. That's a hard thing to get out of your head. That's what a crisis is. And when a crisis occurs, it, it, it leads to hurt, and hurt is an upheaval of emotions caused by that crisis. We get a whole mixture of emotions when a crisis occurs. Sometimes we just feel sad and bummed out. Sometimes we're frustrated or angry. Sometimes we're just horrified or confused. 
embarrassed. Sometimes we just feel helpless or defective and broken. Sometimes just betrayed. Just betrayed. And these emotions, they're funneled. They're funneled into one of two things predominantly. Okay, remember, I'm just trying to keep this simple. Either fear or faith. And what happens is, depending on which of those we predominantly use, it's either going to make that hurt better or make it worse. So I guess that's uh, the beginning of, of something simple to think about, fear or faith. And So let's spend a little time talking about fear. Let's talk about fear. Got another slide I want to show you. Fear, if you look up there, fear is going to, to cause a reaction, and that's going to cause us to hold on, and then that's going to affect our hurt. And what fear is, is it's a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, or something else that, that really is threatening. And that threat could be real or it could be just in your head. It can be imagined. But that's what fear is. And fear has one goal. Make the hurt stop. That's what fear does. Make the hurt stop. Or get away from the hurt. Run away. Get away from it. And honestly, fear is not always a bad thing. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been not maybe paying attention? You're about ready to step into the street. You're downtown or something, and a car is coming, and they give a little honk, and you're like, hello, I don't want to be an organ donor. All right? Your heart starts to pound. You step back. The crisis is, is that you're going to be on his windshield if you don't move, right? The fear is that you could die, so you react right away, and, and God's given us this, this uh, adrenaline to, to have us back out. Sometimes fear can even serve in our poor decisions. For example, uh, when I was in college, I could not stand a chemistry. I, I just could not stand it. And uh, I remember blowing off three weeks of chemistry. And uh, so for almost 24 hours, I sat in a Perkins, drinking coffee and reading three weeks of chemistry, prepping for a midterm. Because I feared I would fail the class. And that fear motivated me to study and I did pass. <laughs> Barely, but I passed. Right? So fear does play a role in fight or flight. It does play a role in that. Now, I don't know how much you've read about fight or flight, but in my opinion, in all seriousness, there's no better place to experiment fight or flight than kids' camp. No better place. And uh, I, about 14 years ago, well, my whole life I grew up going to camp, and I, I, was, I was really rowdy at camp. I, did, I was camp counselor, I was a camp director. I love being rowdy at camps. I love it. So about, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, I got a call. They didn't have a, a camp nurse for uh, junior high camp, and I worked as an RN back then. And so I said, hey, I'll do it. That'll be fun. I love camps. They're rowdy. And my friend Chad Hogan was up there, and he is a, uh, a very rowdy, energetic pastor, and so all week, we did things to just terrorize kids. It was just awesome. <laughs> and one night, he said, hey, Brian, do you want to get up at three and really scare him? And I was like, Chad, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. And he goes, good, because I've got this. And he lifted up this, this hideous bat head mask thing, you know, just, you know. And he goes, this is going to just scare him. And I was like, yeah. And I got a video camera. 
And one of those big spotlight flashlights, you know, that has like the car battery attached to it. So I would hold the, you know, the camera here and the, and the spotlight right there. And we only targeted the guy's cabin. We didn't think appropriate to scare the girls. So here in this junior high camp, at 3 o'clock in the morning, we'd kick open the door. The spotlight would go, behind, go on behind Chad, and he'd be this monster standing there. All the kids would look at him, and he'd scream, Be afraid! It was so awesome. But one kid, and I'm not kidding what he said, he literally stands up and go, he says, he's coming for me. And he turns, no, no, that's not even it. He turns and runs right into the wall. You can't pay. You can't pay for that kind of entertainment. Kids are sitting up and hitting their heads on the bunks. It was just awesome. But usually, after a minute or so, the attack came. Right? Where they start throwing their pillows at us. Shoes. Food. I'm like, who's got food in their sleeping bag at 3 a.m.? But we're getting like chunks of food thrown at us. So we split and we terrorize the rest of the cabins. And, and uh, I have this on video, but I would get fired if I showed it to you. Um, the guest speaker that week was a guy named Kurt Bubna. Oh, yeah. And I had, I had the master key. So we let ourselves into Kurt's room. I've got that on video, but the good thing is, there was no Greek or Hebrew coming out of his mouth. He was very self-controlled. We have a good laugh about that. Fear is a strong motivator, isn't it? It's a strong motivator to fight or flight. And the Bible seems to really support this. It really does. I mean, going back to Adam and Eve, when God got after them for eating that apple, they really feared him at that point. They feared the reaction of God. And so they hid. They were embarrassed. Those were their emotions. They were, they were embarrassed and convicted. Uh, look at Moses. Moses, in his youth, he killed an Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. And he feared getting caught, so he ran. He split. I think of King David and several other prophets throughout the Old Testament who would go hide in caves when their enemies chased them. Fight or flight. But really, I think the best example of fight or flight in, in Scripture, at least in the New Testament, has got to be Peter. Peter, I mean, he, he was part of all of, of the more famous sort of scared disciple stories. Like when there was the big storm on the lake, if you remember that, Jesus is taking a nap, a storm comes, the waves are... Cla- and Peter's part of that group that wakes up Jesus, and they're just terrified. And so Jesus calms the water and he says, Oh, ye of little faith. I think the best story for fight or flight that really shines for Peter, though, (laughs) comes out of uh, John 18, where the guards come to arrest Jesus. Do you remember this story? Peter is one of his disciples, and and Peter is not just any disciple. Peter basically is, is a zealot. He's part of a group that is really hoping that Jesus is a military messiah, coming to free Israel from the bondage of the Roman Empire. So... When these guys show up, the crisis is, okay, my Messiah, my military Messiah is being threatened. The hurt he probably start to feel or, or, or you know, experience was maybe some disappointment or some unawareness because he didn't see Jesus reaching for any swords. So when he reacted to that fear, what did he do? He pulled his sword out, didn't he? And he stepped forward and he slices an ear off one of the guys that's standing next to Jesus. And I'm like, boy... Peter, you got some bad aim. Where'd you get your training? You know? So he's reacting out of fear at this point. 
Because everything that he's hoping for about Jesus is being challenged. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, I could just see him reaching down, picking up the ear, going, you know, Peter. (laughs) Heals the guy, right? Dude, put away your sword. Put away your sword. And now Peter's in another crisis. Because it just confirmed that Jesus is not going to be the kind of Messiah that Pete wants, right? So he reacts again. He drops his sword and he runs. He runs. And then the rest of the night, he, he cycles through this hurt and through this fear, denying Christ three times so that he can save his very life. Fight or flight. By morning, Peter is a wreck. He's weak and he is emotionally depleted. You see, when we funnel our hurt through fear, we will hold on to whatever we think will save us. We will grab it and we will hold it with all of our might. In Peter's case, it was literally the sword. It was an idea. It was an idea he had that Jesus could do maybe like, you know, a a kind of a reverse resurrection maybe on all the Roman soldiers so that Israel could be free That wasn't happening. And he was just holding on to it and funneling his thoughts through that to the point where he had to just run. And like Peter, when we are desperate to deal with impending danger or a difficult crisis, we try to fix it. We try to fix it so we attack it with everything we've got. And that doesn't always work so well. If we can't fix it and the hurt's strong enough, we escape from it. In psychology, it's called escapism that feeds in to other more dangerous things like drug and alcohol abuse and other forms of addiction. And it does that because it says in Proverbs that in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It makes it sick. When we're out of options, And the pressure isn't relieved. Our heart just gets sick. And that leads to psychological disorders and strange defense mechanisms because that hurt has got to come out somehow. And it will. We have all met and known people that have had meltdowns. You might be one of them, right? I might be one of them. That hurt's got to go somewhere. But you guys, here's the good news this morning, is that fear isn't the only option. Fear is not the only option. You see, there's another option, and it has to do with believing that ultimately we are not alone. We're not alone. That someone far greater and stronger than us loves us just as we are, warts and all. That's our next option. It's faith. Faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In other words, it's you saying, I have faith that there's help even when I don't see it. I have faith that there's help even when I don't see it. That's our other option. But faith, you guys, come on, faith, let's be real. Faith means a lot of things to lots of different people, doesn't it? It does. 
Most people do say in our country that they have faith in God, but there's no clarity. There is no real clarity in what this God is really up to. And we struggle with that. And our culture likes the idea of God. In general, we do. We like the idea of God, but we struggle with a clear concept of, or, of who or what God really is and what he's up to. We struggle with that. Now listen, this is important, okay? In the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus tells us that our understanding of God should be centered on him. Not anything, not anybody else. Our understanding of God should be centered on him. This is why the Bible refers to Christ as the word, the, 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 the uh, image, the exact imprint of God. That's why it says those things. In fact, one of my favorite verses is in John 14, and it's where Philip, uh, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, has this great question to Jesus. I love it. This is one of my favorite passages ever. He says, hey, hey Jesus, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Right? In other words, hey, Jesus, just do this. Have the Father, have God reach down, rip the roof off the building, wave high, put the roof back on, and that's enough for us, man, we're good. And listen to what Jesus says. Verse 9, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's a big statement. You see, God looks like Jesus. God looks like Jesus. Well, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? It means a lot to me because it brings me clarity concerning what God does, how he feels, and how he saves. Uh, Pastor Greg Boyd, he was a professor of mine when I was in college. He, um, he wrote this in one of his books. I want to read this quote to you because I think it's beautiful and profound. It says this, Jesus spent his ministry freeing people from evil and misery. This is what God seeks to do. Jesus wars against spiritual forces that oppress people and resist God's good purposes. This is what God does. Jesus loved people other, others rejected, even people who rejected him. This is how God loves. Jesus had nothing but compassion for people who were afflicted by sin and disease and tragedy. This is how God feels. And Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, suffering in the place of sinful humanity, defeating sin and the devil because he passionately loves people and wants to reconcile them to God. This is how Jesus saves Mm. everything you and I need to know about God can be seen in and through Jesus. That is what the Bible teaches. That is what Jesus taught. That is what Jesus taught. So when a crisis comes and hurt follows, what does it look like to funnel hurt through faith in Jesus? What does it look like? Well, again, let's get it down to the most simple level because I believe Jesus actually answered that question. He said this in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, 
Now listen, you guys, because this might be the first time you've heard this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you're sitting there going, what is Jesus talking about eggs for? You know, that's not what the yoke is, okay? A, a yoke is, is the huge collar that would go around an animal so that that animal, like an ox, could pull a cart. It was made out of wood, leather, and metal. And Jesus is saying, take that yoke that you are carrying in life. Take it off and take mine. Come to me, take mine. Take it, trust me, because my burden, that's light. My yoke is easy. And you guys, I would argue that that is our first and most basic step when we're hurting. I'm going to show you the next slide here. A couple words are different. If you look on the right side of that, it says faith. On the left, it says let go. You see, if through fear we try to hold on, then perhaps, perhaps through faith, the thing we've got to do is let go. We gotta let go. But sometimes fear has served us so well. And it is so easy to hold on to that thing that we think is going to give us life. And so we hold on to it. We keep reaching for it. We keep trying to grab it. I want to show you a movie clip because I love I love the imagery in this. It has such a basic lesson. And uh <clears throat> So we're going to enjoy a little bit of Indiana Jones this morning, so let's, let's watch. We have got it. Come on. Elsa. Elsa, don't move. It's ours, Indy. Yours and mine. Elsa, don't cross the seal. The night warned us not to take the grail from here.
it go. Indiana, let it go. <laughs> that is a powerful clip. I love that. What do you hold on to when you're in crisis? What are you trying to reach for? Is it control? Is it power? In that movie clip, that, that little gold cup wasn't just uh, some priceless little cup. That was the cup of Christ, and it had the power to heal and make you young and all these incredible things. What do you reach for? What are you trying to grab hold of? Let it go. If it's not Christ, let it go. First, most basic step, let it go. If only I could find a way to feel your sweetness through the day that love that shines around me could be mine. So give us an answer, won't you? We know what we have to do. There must be a thousand voices trying to get through. You might be thinking this morning, you know, Brian, uh, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the hurts that I am facing. I don't see this light shining around me. In fact, I've been under a cloud for so long, all I know is, is darkness. It's all I know. Hurt and darkness. I just can't even hear from God. It seems like his, his, his voice just disappears with everybody else's. So how can you expect me to not react to fear? That's a good question. I want to give you something to think about. Okay, Just chew on this. If you're under a cloud... It's just a cloud. And I know it's real and it's there, but it's just a cloud. I've lived in Spokane long enough to know that when winter comes, it gets gray. We get fog that burns off at about 7 o'clock at night. All right? We have big snowstorms followed by 50 degree weather, so we live in dirt slurpees. All right? But if you were to get in a plane, after a few minutes, that plane's going to take off and it's going to fly through a cloud. And what's on the other side of that cloud? The sun. The sun's still shining. In fact, it's never stopped. It's just a cloud. It's just a cloud. I know it's real, but the sun is there. And he's shining and he's real. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's faith. Choose him. Choose him. Now, if you're a Christ follower and you're already walking with Jesus, I just want to take this morning, just for a second, just to remind you what you're going through, it's just a cloud. It is. And someday there's not going to be any clouds. I mean, the Lord, is, his light will always shine clearly. But God is there. And he is shining, and he loves you, and he's in your life. And he wants you to trust him and have faith in him. Now, if you're here, and maybe today is literally the first day you have gotten an idea of who Jesus Christ is, a first glimpse of, of what he's really about and what he wants to do and how he wants to save. Well, in Revelations, he says a profound thing. Jesus says, he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. 
We know what we have to do. There must be a thousand voices trying to get through. But do you hear Jesus this morning? Because he's there. And he's knocking and he wants to help. You cannot find anything in scripture where where God, where Jesus is not honestly concerned over hurt and pain. He stood at the grave of Lazarus and just wept. And so what I want to do this morning is give you a chance to begin a relationship with Christ so that you can have access to some faith that can make a difference in your life. So let's bow our heads. And if you're ready to pray and begin your life as a Christ follower, just quietly to yourself, pray this prayer with me. Uh, Jesus, um, I admit my need for you today. I need you. I don't want to be a slave again to fear. I don't. I, I want to have hope as an option and faith as an option. So today, I choose to begin my life as a Christ follower. Today, I begin my journey of faith in and with you. Thank you for accepting me just as I am and doing for me what I cannot do for myself. I love you, and I thank you for loving me. Amen. Now that prayer gives you the ability, it gives you an option to funnel life's hurts through something bigger than yourself. You might be under a cloud, but the sun's always shining. Now we've been looking up at that circle on the screen, and I can't help but to believe that the more we funnel our hurt through Christ, the more we experience him in the rest of what he provides, even in crisis. Hope eventually shows up. That hurt does turn into hope, and that does lead into healing. And to be honest, coming from a guy who likes to wrestle with why bad things happen, I would rather experience healing than, to the, than experience the answer to my question why. I would rather have that healing. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Imagine this, you guys. Imagine if every time we face a crisis, every time we hurt over something, imagine if we funneled that through faith each and every time. The Apostle Paul had crisis after crisis, hurt after hurt. And listen to what he wrote, because I think when we practice this, uh, Paul gives us a glimpse of, of the fruit that it produces. He said this to the Corinthians. He said, what a wonderful God we have. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And why does he do this? So that when others are troubled, when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them this same help and comfort that God has given us. You guys, what goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that the comfort of God would touch you to the point when uh, you actually can give that comfort away to someone else. That's the fruit of this. That's the hope. That's the hope in this. I'm going to invite the man to go ahead and lead us in, a, in another worship song. Uh, let's stand together. I've got the ushers here so you can prepare your tither, your offering, and we're going to worship while we give. I was talking about Peter um, not too long ago. Could you imagine three days after his Messiah is, is killed, what he felt like? 
He's hopeless. He's broken. He's thinking, I'm just going to go back to fishing. Forget it. When Jesus was resurrected, when he saw Mary, do you know what he said to her? I think it's beautiful. He said, go tell Peter. Go tell Peter. So even while Peter was under that cloud, Jesus was thinking about him. How can I get my hope to him? And that's what I believe he wants to do with each of us. So guys, the next time, the next time you're facing a crisis and you're going through hurt, capture your thoughts and give them to the Lord. That's what Paul wrote. We have that option. Capture those thoughts and choose to funnel that hurt through some faith. And my hope for you is that you'll get filled with hope. Let's pray. Lord, uh, that, that, is, uh, that is my prayer. I pray that each person here, mm, Lord, I, I know a crisis is coming. Hurt's going to come. You felt hurt when you walked this planet, Jesus. And so my prayer right now, Father, is that each of us would stop in that moment and not to fall to fear, but to give that situation, that crisis, that pain to you, Jesus. Even if we just have to, I don't know, just visually let go. Let go of, a, a, of whatever we're holding on to. And my prayer is that you'd show up, Jesus. That you'd show up and you'd touch some hearts and heal them. I ask that in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Now listen, if you committed your, your life to Christ for the first time this morning, would you tell somebody? Uh, grab a Bible in the back. We've got some packets for you. Um, come talk to me. I'd love to hear about that. And also, you guys, you know, after service last hour, we had people coming up getting prayed for because they were going through a divorce. They had cancer. They had marriage problems. If you need prayer, don't leave this morning. Come forward and get prayed for. And one last thing, don't forget your kids. Pick them up, okay? God bless you guys.